Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. It's been a while, but but we're back. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Quinnell. Hello, Quinnell. Hello, Chase. Quinnell knew 25 was going to feel old. She knew it from the first day. Two days ago, she woke up from a nap in the car <laughs> with carpal tunnel. She has chronic pain now? Maybe? Today, her boyfriend told her that he didn't have the energy, and she deeply understood it. But God damn it, I knew it. <laughs> Uh, well, all those things are true, and I guess the the maybe is still a question mark. Uh, the first day, I woke up with carpal tunnel from a nap in the car on a 38-hour road trip, and my fingers were on fire. And you know what? I called my mom, and I called my sister, and I called my grandpa, and none of them seemed fucking surprised. They were all like, ha, welcome to the club. Excuse me. <laughs> There's some sort of family carpal tunnel club. No, no, and no, but for like two days, I couldn't tie my shoes and my boyfriend had to do everything for me and carry things and just, uh, I couldn't use a lighter or open boxes or, and it it wasn't a great time to be moving like back into our apartment from our road trip because I was pretty much useless. But anywho, 25 does feel old. Uh, My fingers are feeling a little bit better. Um, We're still both very tired and <laughs> i do think you need to get a shirt that says family carpal tunnel club i think you know. <laughs> just truly truly absurd i was like "Ooh, the secret society of the tingly fingers why <laughs> i have mostly recovered so i guess the pain won't, might not be chronic forever but uh yeah there's still a couple of my fingers that are a little wonky well, I hope I, I hope they feel I'm better. I'm sure it'll just get worse as I age further. What's next? No, Purple tunnel no. toes. Who knows? <laughs> Speaking of things getting worse as you get older, we're gonna first talk about the Euphoria new episode, uh, and then we'll talk <laughs> about the the movie The White Tiger, which was a Quinnell suggestion that was very good. But yeah, we both watched the most recent episode of Euphoria, the longer form episodes that are kind of contained because they were shot during quarantine. The last one was about Rue's character. Now we're with Jules, who's in a very different place in her life, but also struggling. Cornell, what did you think of the episode Fuck Anyone Who's Not a Sea Blob? Which uh, is a great title. It is. And I loved this episode. I don't know if you all recall, but I had a lot of criticisms of Jules's character after watching both season one and season two of Euphoria. I got to even further unpack that over winter break. And I basically came down to feeling like she didn't have any, or she hadn't explained her motivations for anything. Like the show hadn't explained why Jules does anything. She just is sort of this glittery person who... (laughs) I don't know. She's really just floating through life, and they weren't giving me any any further character depth, and I had a problem with that. And that's why I really loved this episode because even though I, I don't know, I still feel critical about the fact that they packed all of this into one episode. I also feel like for the first time we are getting an explanation of who Jules is and why, because yeah. there is so much context about her her character that has just been left out of the first two seasons and was just tossed into this episode and it was really good i think i liked the exposition but it was interesting to all of a sudden for the first time understand a main character yeah i agree 100 percent. it did a lot of backfilling 
of certain contextual important things, which the most interesting one to me was about the relationship Jules has with her father, who had mostly been, I won't say sort of in the background, but largely seemed to be a positive force in her life and was generally supportive, but just kind of quiet. We didn't know a lot about him. This episode complicated that a lot where he was expecting her to do certain things to make up with her mother when that's not her job. And the way he sort of springs that on her is not, I would say, the most healthy parenting strategy. Without being too judgmental, it felt unfair. And we can get into like some more of the spoilers and details. But on the whole, I also liked it. The only thing that just made it less engaging to me was that it was Jules talking with a character that wasn't entirely a character it was meant to be a therapist role and obviously that's how therapy works but i enjoyed rue's episode more because it was a character that we hadn't known a lot about but was still a character and there was more back and forth and sort of challenging each other and a dynamic engagement with each other um i think this gets around that by having it be that a lot of what it will be is jules giving really good monologues and observations about her life and reflections and then flashbacks to kind of fill that in but i still think it was just a little less engaging because of the way it was set up that this wasn't a character we had already known the therapist and that it wasn't someone that we were as interested in knowing about i'm very interested in knowing about jules and i think that gave me a lot of that but i I don't know. It felt a little bit more low key in some ways. But do you, I think you disagree because we talked about this. I do. I do disagree. Um, Well, partially because I think that Rue's character and Jules' character did have these core differences that we've gotten a lot of exposition from Rue. She was our, the first main character and her, I mean, her opening episode really just explains a lot of who she is to us and a lot of why she feels the way she does and why she behaves a certain way. And I don't think I needed that from Rue at all. I didn't really like her episode as much, but part of it was because they, the content was just going to be additional. There wasn't as much that they hadn't told already that they felt they needed to tell about Rue, as opposed to Jules, where this whole relationship with her mother is almost non-existent in the show that you it's have it's, you have it's us a quick deep scene in the subtext. yeah you have a quick scene where she says that she got better and her mom didn't and there's a flash of some pills on a table and you don't really know whether she's abusing them whether she's got a serious mental illness what you you just have no idea why Jules's mom left and or whether or not she's alive and <laughs> I, mean, I just think there was there was so much so for me the therapist really challenging her about who she is and why she does what she does felt more significant to me than her having some sort of dynamic conversation about it because the truth is that we as an audience just don't know oh, absolutely. Just, yeah I just I just don't think it was um I don't think it was less dynamic for me I just think that it was certainly more self-involved that the whole problem with Jules is that she's just is not being self-involved on screen. <laughs> right. And I think I think it complicated that because the the relationship she has with her mother, who also was an addict, mm-hmm. makes it a little more understandable why she couldn't be there for Rue and why anyone couldn't be there for Rue in the way that she kind of needed because she was having all of these memories of what it was like with her mother and whether she could give herself entirely to someone who's an addict, which it's difficult. Exactly to love someone who's an addict. And she very much does 
love Rue but feels like it's taking a lot of her. And yeah. she doesn't want to say that to Rue because she knows it would hurt Rue and that it but might. Also, Rue doesn't her. understand what a toll it takes on her. No. The same way her mom doesn't, but also she she hasn't shared this information with Rue or any or us. And so you don't really understand the distance that she's keeping between her and Rue, why she's keeping her at arm, arm's length. And I think before it seemed kind of cold until yes. you like understand that. Now, with the thing between Jules and her dad, I agree that it is unfair for a child to have to be in that situation. But I also think that even though, you know, obviously her father is an essential character, he's a, a shadow of a person for most of the show. But I think that there's a certain amount of care that he shows for her mom in like the the stories that Jules tells in this episode that Jules isn't very sympathetic to. That I, I agree that he's sort of pushing her to do something that she doesn't want to do or shouldn't have to. But at the same time, he is living in the same situation that Jules is where he loves this person and he's worried that any sort of shift will cause a relapse and he's right. And so in the same way that Jules is always trying to spare Rue, her dad is trying to spare her mom. And so I understand it's hard for her to be in the middle of that, but I'm not, I'm, I guess I'm not sure what the right decision would be because at a certain point he's having to choose between the safety of his wife and his daughter's feelings about it. Yeah. And there's, no, there's no right answer. Like, I think the, the really thing hard. I like about the show is that it's very unjudgmental of characters that are flawed and struggling. And even though we had had sort of our hangups and I guess in some ways judgments of Jules's character, it largely yeah, was that it felt underdeveloped. And it was. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is a problem with sort of like dumping a lot of that information into one episode but i'm also willing to forgive that because that's kind of what therapy is you're yeah, also, unpacking I, a lot of information and a lot of baggage so i'm okay with that a little bit also i'd rather them do that than not dump it in at all yes. because i have been waiting and critically waiting i've had a lot of problems with this and i've been upset for two seasons I guess the only issue would be as if we forget about this. If if this ends up not having as much of an impact as I would hope it does. Because the end of the episode, spoilers, it concludes with them not really opening up to each other or talking. And I understand why that is because it's kind of very bittersweet and painful because we've been able to hear all this, but they just won't talk to each other, which... Mm -hmm. In my head, I'm like, just just say how you're feeling, but that's difficult and painful. They're so anxious. Yeah. And so the only nervousness I would have and the trepidation I would have is that this ends up being a one-off, that we look back on this episode and go, wow, we learned a lot about Jules in this episode. That was refreshing and different than the previous episodes. What happened to it? <laughs> and I don't know. It just feels like if if we don't kind of carry forward this good energy, it could feel a little out of balance to me. Well, I think that there's a lot of plot consequences for this episode versus oh, yeah. Rue's episode. Rue's episode was much more of a bottle episode where I'm not sure you're going to have an interaction like that again. But I feel like Jules's episode really tells us what she's been up to. What has she been doing all this time? Like after what happens after she gets on the train. And I'm not even sure I understand what happens to her after she gets on the train. Yeah, it's kind of left murky. But she certainly tried to run away, and her dad came to get her, and she had to go home. Um, so I feel like that really pushes the plot forward, explains why Jules is back in town. 
um, and sort of how much time has passed, like they're on winter break. Um, I don't know whether or not now that we've had this episode, I really want to see that change from Jules's character in the regular season, which is weird. But I also, I feel like if they establish her character as somebody who just bottles their emotions all the time, mm-hmm. as opposed to Rue, who has them spilling out all the time to the point where she has to sedate herself. Um, I think that that, is an interesting character development. Like it's an interesting explanation for the way that Jules is in a way that I think satisfies how her character be like plays out. And I'm not sure I would really want that to change. Maybe they, the therapist conversations can become more regular as just like a really long special episode. But I guess I don't, I don't know if I think it would be honest to the character to suddenly have Jules be a more open character but maybe maybe like therapy helps and that that yeah. drives the plot that way i just think it, it i do think that it's interesting now to me that she's just been bottling all of these feelings and she was just very overwhelmed and then she had so much to tell you what she was overwhelmed about i found that really relatable yeah and i think i think in defense of it i think it could be that jules does make frequent visits and that it's difficult but that she goes through a change as a character and that's what makes shows interesting. If characters remain static all the time, it gets boring and is not particularly interesting because that's not how people work. And so to feel like Jules was very different and had a very different demeanor and was opening up in a way... people work. <laughs> had a very open <laughs> demeanor in a way that she didn't before because it was that she wasn't... And, and she remarks on this, and I think that's why that the episode was also written by Hunter Schaefer makes me think a lot of what I liked about it is her writing and not Sam's Levinson's writing, but we, we can get to that. But she speaks to some of that where it feels like a lot of her life up to this point had been acting a certain way. And in this, we don't really see her doing that for anyone. She's being very open and honest about her struggles and pains and concerns about the future, about herself. And those monologues were kind of my favorite part um because they it's again where you write it in a way where it feels very natural but you can tell that every single word is intentional and i think that's that was what was good about it um and i don't know i hope she gets to to write more because if this is a a a glimpse at what she brings to the table when it comes to this character i would want to see her having more of an influence on where it can go and what some of the revelations we learn about her and how she grows as a character maybe that's because i'm I don't know if you've been following the stuff about the director Sam Levinson's new movie, the Malcolm and Marie movie. Okay. There have been some concerns that he has just like written that movie to be kind of like an ego thing of like characters complaining about how they get bad reviews, which again could be an interesting thing, but is not played very well from what I've heard. So I don't know. This, this seems much more interesting to me because it's about a character as a character not a character being used as a stand-in for the director to complain about a critic giving his previous movie that review. That just doesn't sound interesting to me. Um, especially if it's played that they're in the right. If it's played that they're like hyper obsessed with it and like that's kind of consuming them. But I, I would rather take sort of a stripped down character stuff that feels authentic and is a character, not a stand-in for you to to raise your gripes about people I, not liking your previous movie. 
I wonder how much of um, Jules's sort of exposition was, I don't know, initially intended when they wrote the other episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not that it's a problem for them to have uh, sort of done this retroactively, but I would think would find it interesting if before when Hunter Schaefer was less involved, her character was one dimensional and that she sort of had to help write all of these extra dimensions. Um, I'm a bit sad. I'm happy that she was so involved that she could give her character that depth. But I, I do still find it frustrating that we had to wait this long into such a successful show to even understand yes. who she is. Yes. And I'm glad you said it because I didn't want to like be as totally presumptive about it. But I think that's kind of the impression I'm getting that maybe in the future, there should be a greater emphasis on Hunter's writing to at least deepen the character and change it from where Sam had been writing about it. And I'm yeah. saying these names like I know these people, but that's just <laughs> yeah. that's just kind of the impression I've gotten that the, yeah. the season that Sam had written was not quite as flushed out as it could have been and engaging as it could have been. And again, maybe this episode is explaining that away and that mm-hmm. Jules had these barriers up and that's why it was. But just because a character has barriers up with other people doesn't mean that the barriers need to always be up for the audience. I exactly. think you have to make sure you don't push the audience out to where someone feels like the character is being kept too far in the background, if that makes sense. I really don't know whether or not that's the case, but I think a lot about um, the sort of the way in which Jules's character has previously described her queerness and her relationship with that feels so different from what she said in that room to her therapist. Um, and I guess I don't know whether or not that's intended. Um, maybe Jules putting on a face, maybe that was always the way it was going to be. But I really felt sort of relieved with her sort of having this this conversation and grappling with what that means to her what what it means for her to be this sort of bubbly ethereal kind of quiet character and um sort of challenging that by explaining the sort of internal forces that inform her decisions and the way that she presents herself to the world because I think that that was such a poignant moment whether or not I really agree with her about the way girls are but just talking about the way that people can make you feel and the way that they sort of analyze you in everyday life and and recognizing that that's not always comfortable because the way that she presented it before it just seemed sort of shallow Mm -hmm. which I think is a mistake if if they're trying to have it be that Jules is closed off that's fine but it crosses over into shallowness then you start to have a problem and this is the last, apparently this is the last special episode. Um, they could do a surprise one and we wouldn't know about it. <laughs> but I think I think this was a good way to end kind of these two very different episodes focusing on our two ostensibly main characters of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope, I hope it's a sign of what is to come and not a brief diversion. I, do, you have any, I agree. do you have any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I, (laughs) I wish that, uh, that Nate's character had gotten a special episode. 
We're not going to touch I that one. I know that you hate him, but that's the whole point. He is a hateable character. And I also feel like the, the sort of exposition that Jules gives about how she's still feeling about Tyler yeah. or Nate or whatever. I just really, I, I feel like I need to know what he's grappling with. Like, is he working on it? What is he doing? Is there any growth in sight? I just would have, I just don't like it. Yes, I know. I know. Probably not. But maybe. And that's the whole thing that that's interesting to see these characters changed, change and interesting to see them be dynamic. If he just stays the bad guy forever without any sort of depth of character beyond, I mean, he's got a lot of depth of character. I was going to say, he already any, has a lot of depth of character. You're right. Without him grappling with it for real, because it seems like the closest that he's come to that was getting in a fist fight with his father. And <laughs> if that's not a, a big, <laughs> big man move, I don't know why. I don't know why that has to be the central point. I understand that it happens to a lot of people that that, that is their reckoning to fight with their dad. But I just would like to see more sort of internal unraveling because you don't really know how he feels about it. You don't ever get to hear his voice. You get to see a lot of it, but you, the last time you really hear him talk about how he's feeling, he's describing what he likes about women and the ways in which he would like to murder the people who harm them. <laughs> and it seems still... It's still obviously tied up with his tendency towards violence, tendency towards violence, uh, tendency, violent tendencies towards women. In addition to that, I just feel like that is, there are so many parts of his character that are just knotted up together. I would have liked for him to have a little spotlight so I can see what's, what's going on this winter break for him. <laughs> What is happening? What is Nate on doing on vacation? Yeah, and is there any growth involved? <laughs> is he just laying in bed thinking about Jules? What is what's going on? I will say I was okay with his role in this because it was Jules talking about how Nate and Tyler are different people. Mm -hmm. Tyler was the person that Jules formed a very intense but distant relationship with entirely through the phone, entirely through that connection. And her talking about how deep and impactful that was to her was really interesting. And then makes it clear how painful it was to then know, oh, but this person the whole time was Nate. And she seems like she's still somewhat hoping he kind of wasn't and that maybe this person still exists. But I think that's a lost cause. Well, but it's not even that. She doesn't say that it was Nate. She says it was a person that didn't exist. Yeah. And I feel like that is part of the reason I would like to see a Nate episode because I'm not sure that that's true. I think that that's easy. I think it's easier than to admit that maybe part of Nate is absolutely in love with Jules and this is terrible. It's just a terrible situation. But I don't think that it's completely honest to be like, oh, that person doesn't exist. And Nate was just stringing Jules along and not at all being emotionally invested when we know good and well that he was a little invested, at least. But when it then finally came to them meeting, it very much was clear where his intentions lied. And that was, was to, to blackmail and just potentially threaten to destroy her life and treat her terribly. Like Honestly, it wasn't clear to me at all because honestly, he could have done that without going through all of these motions to to like her. Like there, there is a tension between how Nate's character feels about Jules and how he feels about his reputation and his image and just the things that he's filled his life with and 
I just think that that needs to be talked about because without it, I'm just worried that people are going to think that he's he's going to continue to be portrayed as just this one-dimensional character when clearly there's something else here. I don't think he's one-dimensional. I just think it is very clear him as a person when it finally came down to it, when they met for real, quote-unquote, he made his real self known. Yeah, he could have not maybe he's done just that. a big old coward. I don't know if he made not his real excuse. self known. I don't not know if he, I think I disagree with that statement that he made his real self known. I think that I think that you have Tyler and then you have this image that is this asshole that is Nate and then the truth is honestly somewhere in between. I, I could agree with that, but that tendency of Nate to be incredibly abusive and violent towards not just jewels but also other people to like yeah. cover up for stuff he has done that's that's his real self coming through yeah. that's i wouldn't that's, say that that's he's a not part a of bad him. person i just don't think that i think there's a third part that we haven't gotten i okay. i agree that, that nate is absolutely all these terrible things and that this isn't a lie that he's telling but i do think that there's this third part that you get sort of just in glimpses when he's truly obsessed with texting this girl um and when he tells Rue that he doesn't believe, he doesn't think that she's really worth anything like Jules. Like Jules has all these dreams and she's really going to achieve them. And there's just this this weird revelry he has for her that I just don't think has been unpacked at all. I guess we'll just agree to disagree on that one. Yeah, yeah, we'll, like, we'll have more to talk about. They'll make more <laughs> of the show probably. It's still a good show. It's still a hit show even with the director's movie that some people have some thoughts about. I think hopefully that's a misstep. And I, cause I think this show is the best stuff he's done. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see more of it. I think these kind of two experimental different episodes were interesting where they broke the form. They tried different things. And even when I didn't hundred percent like it, I was appreciating them rising to the occasion of COVID restrictions and making episodes that were very character driven and interesting and in many ways better than a lot of the episodes in this the main season itself. Yeah. Ooh, last thought, sorry, about Nate's character. Internalized homophobia really needs to be discussed on screen. That that's yeah. It's just something that I don't think they're saying, and I think that a lot of people suffer with, and it leads to a lot of violence, um, and I just think that if they don't unpack it, then they're ignoring a really major issue. I would say yes, but I would say there are also plenty of people that have that internalized feeling and don't become violent. It's not it's something true. that is as sort because like I think it's I think it could be dangerously becoming a trope where it's like, oh, I hate myself so much, I'm just gonna attack people. Yeah, and, but it, the thing is that there are too many people who do, and they yes. really do attack people. Like I think that the the issue is that nobody ever speaks to this this particular demographic of people who are actually harming so many people a year that it's become like an epidemic that people are, are killing queer people and they themselves are queer and we just need to, to talk directly to them maybe a couple times i agree i i don't know if this writer director has the nuance to get to those things in many ways like i'm worried about what conversations will happen unless other characters are also or other uh, cast members are writing and kind of bringing some nuance and depth to that which I think is a value of having a writer's room of diverse perspectives no matter what and make sure that one person isn't just making a fool of themselves on screen and by proxy everyone else in the show because um, right. that's what his movie sounds like when people are listening to this um, 
So I don't know. I, I definitely agree. I think that's something they could tackle, but it would require a lot of reflection and more perspectives than I think just a singular one, because it is a multifaceted issue that a lot of people would need to to weigh in on to make sure that they're really giving it the, the justice and complexity that it deserves. I agree. It's definitely super delicate. Anyway. Moving on to our next topic, this was a movie Quinnell recommended that I watch, which I had heard a lot of good things about, but hadn't seen until she recommended I see it. And so I will let her introduce it. Quinnell, what was your really good recommendation? Well, first, I want us to play my little little ditty. Now, it's time to get a clue and take your cue from Q's Cues. Okay. Um, the film recommendation I made was The White Tiger. Um, it is a film about, I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a pulling yourself up by your bootstrap sort of story, but, uh, not quite. Um, it's about a man who has made his life's aim to be a servant to a wealthy family and quickly becomes sort of disillusioned with that and sort of has to challenge this internal sort of not just nature, but tendency towards being um, subordinate. And it, I think it's a really interesting sort of character study as, as well as a criticism of, I don't know, both Indian society as well as just any capitalist society. It definitely felt like the, the writers kept the criticism sort of contained um, but not without very clearly nodding to issues that are pervasive in all capitalist societies. And it, it, I, it was specific to the caste system, though, because absolutely. that is a specific iteration of a lot of those ideas that deserves its own focus. And it was based off a book that people have loved and that I now want to read. Um, but I thought it was very, very insightful and interesting to see this one character's growth. Because when I had first seen the trailer for it, they played up a lot of the funnier elements. Mm -hmm. And there is kind of a darkly comic energy to some parts of it. But that very quickly becomes sort of an entry point to like a very serious reflection on one person trying to figure out a bunch of different things about their life, whether they can achieve for themselves and what the cost of that is. Do they have to leave their family behind? Do they have to throw other people under the bus? Because... The answer is is largely yes, that it's a it's a cunning world and that he essentially has to do that. And you don't judge him for that in some ways, but in other ways you you feel like he's losing some of who he is, that he has to sacrifice so much in order to achieve. And at the end, without going into too much of spoilers, he has like reformed himself in some ways and does try and do right by many people, but the journey to get there is still a very complicated one. And I think it's a lot of things people have felt where it feels like you have to be ruthless and cruel to survive and that there's no sort of room for compassion and that compassion can only make it that you're kind of weak in some ways, which I don't think is true, nor should it be true. But in this world, that's that's what he feels like he has to do. But and it's what the world the decision rewards. that he makes at the end of the day is just to be cruel because I think that more than anything he just has to free himself and I don't think that's a a cruelty so much especially because after he decides to do that his immediate decision is to go where he can actually be successful to go somewhere that's full of people who are like him 
who are looking for this way out and that he could be it better than a landlord, which I think was an interesting choice um, for them to have had him literally kill his landlord. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes, that that is what it is all building to. And I think it was an interesting twist of fate. I, I What this movie reminded me a lot of, but a little more straightforward, was this movie called Burning that came out a couple years ago. And I won't go into the details of why because I don't want to ruin Burning, but it largely was like class and class structural problems, especially for those who are on the lower end of the, the class caste system, are constantly having to survive and do whatever it takes. And their lives are already being destroyed every day and they're being kept in subservience. And so then to see one small instance of one person fighting back against that is always interesting because then for him to do that, it's an outlier. That's literally what the title of the movie is, that there's once in a lifetime, a white tiger, essentially. Mm -hmm. But not everyone is going to be able to do that. Like for every person that managed to succeed in the way he did, there would be another person that would try and get caught or a person that would never even get in that position in the first place. And I think that's what made it so devastating and tragic is that, yes, it is a, a more or less happy ending that he's able to achieve, but it is still against the backdrop of so much pain and built-in structural limitations that pretty much can't be overcome. That at this point, it is largely impossible unless there is a huge systemic structural change that this will be what countless other young kids like him have to face in their own future and lives. And, and he's he discovers made a it every... mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and he discovers at every point that the the sort of idols that he worshipped and the sort of um, paths that he really believed to be there were were not that they were just lies that they were that were told to him so that he would push himself. But at the end of the day, even as he pushes himself, he just discovers more corruption. So him like finding out that the great socialist, who I don't know, he really built a lot of his beliefs around her being somebody who who promised that people could get ahead, that she was taking she bribes. She had done so. She had, but she had done so. That was part yeah. of it. He could look but, to her as an example of someone who could get out, but then was becoming in many ways just as corrupt as everyone else. But he, exactly. he even when he saw that bribe scene, he still admired that. Because it was like, she's shaking them down. She mm -hmm. is, from all of us, managing to, to stick it to him. Overlooking that a lot of that is not going to help him particularly at all or help anyone from his family or anyone he knows from his cast but she is like a stand-in for all of them it's like rooting for her to succeed even if it doesn't help anybody else yeah that's kind of what we do i know that's, i just i just I, I really felt this film looking at us without addressing us at all yes because it's hard not to you want to see people succeed and then in your head imagine this is what I could do, that I too could at some point strike it big or get lucky. Um, I'm very tempted to talk about all the stuff that's happening with GameStop, which is okay. going to be super okay. silly. Well, well, let me just say this this last thing before we, we change subjects. Um, I really am excited about Ava DuVernay's involvement in this yes. film. Um, it really gives me insight into like what sort of films we could see 
from her um, in the future. And that's really exciting because I don't know, she started this uh, studio and then just had this idea that she just wanted to tell really diverse stories and give more people a voice in film, especially with the access to sort of American film production. And I am truly, truly excited about what else she could make. Um, and I think that it this bodes well. Are you talking about the like array now and mm-hmm. that effort she's been doing? Yeah, because when I saw her name at the end, I was like, oh, that's very interesting. More, please. More yeah. more of this kind of interesting deep dive into a story, because I, I would rather see a, a Netflix movie like this, even though it's largely distributed by Netflix. I'd largely just see a Netflix movie like this than another fucking kiss kissing booth movie yeah and array is um one of the three production companies involved in the the production of this film so i just i'm stoked if that's if this is what we're getting even though she's really really dragging white people for film but you know what (laughs) it it was a great film and i just i want to see more i agree yeah and kind of briefly cycling back even though i referenced it kind of flippantly the idea that there's like a bunch of people right now as we're recording this kind of gaming the system of the stock market or they're which trying like, to actually everything's frozen right now i know everything's frozen because that was inevitable it was it was always going to be short-lived because without delving too much into it it was people using the system against itself which other people had already always been doing but then when sort of just the everyday person was trying it then it gets shut down then it's no longer allowed even though the shorting of stocks was something that was happening all the way up to, to 2008 and is is inherently something that is kind of trickery, but like it's then trickery that only wealthy people get to use. And that's that's kind of what is making everyone being like, yeah, I'm on side of the Redditors, even though it's not like a going to be systemic reform or change. You're seeing a few people, like I was reading on the Reddit threads where it was like, Now I'm able to pay for my mom's surgery that I wasn't able to. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can you not see that and be like, that is a good thing. Is it going to lead to this sort of long-term thing? Probably not. Maybe it'll expose some of the flaws in how things are. But when it comes to this movie, you see him and you're like wanting him to succeed and you're wanting him to achieve something. And then you realize, oh, but in many ways, he's just like the great socialist that he admired. Mm -hmm. He is achieving a lot of individual success, which I think he spreads a little bit more around. Yeah, absolutely. I think that he really goes out of his way to make it so that other people can actually do what he did. I don't think the great socialist ever intends for anyone to to achieve what she achieved. She She doesn't draw a path for it either. I guess the similarity is, is that he largely then is very still participating in corruption, is bribing people is not really looking at how to systemically change anything which is obviously more difficult than one person could ever hope to do and he has his own small business that he does but it's still it's still benefiting him above everyone else in some ways not saying that that is inherently always going to be a bad thing that he that he achieved these things coming from such a a difficult spot but yeah i will say as a small hang-up for me Man, this movie was essentially the longest email someone has ever written because he starts out typing that email and midway through, I'm like, oh, this is an email. He's just sending an email to someone, which then gets into a secondary thing of like, I have some problems with narration when it's used too much. 
I think there were some scenes where just silence and him looking at things and observing things, we could put it together, especially when he's beginning to see the red bag and we see the idea beginning to take hold in his mind. And then for him to chime in and say, I was thinking of stealing this. I felt was a little, it didn't trust us. I knew that's what he was thinking. And the, the visuals were communicating that to me, but I didn't need to hear him always be explaining every single aspect. And it did stop a little bit towards the end, but it still was a little bit too much at times for me. I will say I disagree, but the reason I disagree is that I don't think that he's talked too much because I definitely do agree with that. But I do think that there was a part of that message that I didn't really understand until like maybe the third time that he thought about stealing, Mm -hmm. which is that he, the reason that he didn't steal the red bag is because he thought that he was worth more. And so with every waiting for it to be of a higher value. Yeah. So when she first gives him the money with the, in the envelope, and you wonder, why doesn't he just go? He's got some money. He's got the car. Leave. Why does he keep going back? And then he's with the red bag. He's alone with it. And you're like, why doesn't he just leave? And you realize later, as he just keeps talking about it, that there's a higher revenge that he's seeking, that he he wants more than just what he's worth or what he's worth for a couple of years. He really wants payback for the servitude that he was forced into, for the psychological effects that it had on him. And for the ways in which it, that sort of cruelty trickled down to the way that he was raised. Like one of the most heart-wrenching scenes for me was when um, Pinky sort of scolds him for scratching his groin. And then he goes to the mirror and sort of analyzes the ways in which he hasn't been taking care of his own hygiene. And he starts brushing his teeth and he just can't get the stains out. And it's so frustrating. And I just feel like each one of those narrations informed why he wasn't going to steal yet. <laughs> He's like, no, yeah. I'm worth more. No, I'm worth more. And I, I felt like that was kind of necessary for me to get that. Yeah, those scenes, I appreciate the narration and the sort of internal look at his own struggles and deep sense of disconnect where he's just being himself, but then hasn't been given the same tools and access to to hygiene and basic things that other people have. And so then when he's treated poorly because of that and kicked while he's down for that, but didn't have access to it, it's like, this is not his fault. You took these things from him, didn't give him the access to them, and then blame him for not having them. Yep. So that's that's good stuff. It more of just was like towards the end. Do you remember the scene where his, I think it's his nephew comes in? Because I think mm-hmm. the the presence of another young person, because we see him in that in many ways, and where... They're sitting at a table and he's just read a newspaper article about a village being massacred. And we don't know whether it's his village, but it's implied that it very well could be. It might be. And he doesn't he never goes back to, to find out. He doesn't seem to be particularly interested in that and then talks to this young kid. And then the kid is, I don't want to say bratty, but is a little bit like, I want ice cream. He's like, today isn't Sunday. And he's like, doesn't matter. And like, then it kind of narrates a little bit what that meant and I was like oh I think just letting that sit and breathe a little bit of wow this kid is so different than him in many ways reminds me more of his master who then became very like which I want to talk about him a little bit became very sort of childish and possessive and was a bratty kid that then grows into an adult and expects everything to be done for him and as soon as that is threatened or he doesn't have everything if he wants that his wife leaves him that he doesn't get to do whatever he wants 
he like lashes out he pushes him i thought his character was really interesting because he would sort of take like moral stands over like small things like don't call him that and like Mm -hmm. obviously that's important and i agree with him but then when it really came down to big issues he caved he would always like prioritize himself and let anyone else get completely run over when push came to shove it was very clear where his intentions lie in a weird way it kind of reminded me of knives out Mm -hmm. where she has the friend in that who's a friend by her side but then as soon as like something is gonna be threatening to her she turns on her she immediately looks to her own self-interest i like characters like that where they're positioned as being like outwardly kind and maybe quote-unquote less bad and are somewhat of an ally but then immediately when it's really something that is serious to them they they throw that all out the window it largely felt like a performance of niceness and kindness that he outwardly gets to project to make himself feel better but doesn't actually really do anything he like will do half-hearted objections to things that quickly get overruled and he lets go well, I would say I don't think the kid sort of starts out like that. I think no, no, no. starts out bratty. But yeah, I, I definitely see how um, sort of Balram goes out of his way to make sure that just because you're comfortable doesn't mean you're going to become an asshole. No, yeah. <laughs> because at the end of the day, the the, char- the other characters, the the landlord and, and Ashok, they are also people who started off in that village that he lived in. And he sort of sees that that's how that that's how that story could end. Yeah, that it corrupts you. That absolute power corrupts everything, basically, because that's what this wealth is. I know that's a, a cliche, but that's what this wealth is. It gives them the power to not have to be nice or not have to do all these things, and it's it's a very cynical perspective on it. And I appreciated that cynicism. It was very willing to just be like, "Yeah, this is only just going to get worse and worse and worse." And it also was interesting. Because I was having a conversation with my friend about about Pinky, where Mm -hmm. she seemed like an outsider who could maybe connect with him a little bit. She said her family had also struggled and that her mom had been held at gunpoint in their Mm -hmm. store. And it was like little things that she seemed to be saying like of this is bad and you deserve better. But then when spoiler, she runs over a child driving drunk. She's willing to cast the blame on him. She doesn't stop it. I would not, okay, I agree that she doesn't stop it, but I wouldn't say that she is as willing as many of the other characters. I think that Pinky is really pure, like the most of all of the characters who are are of this, I don't know, this position, because she's not really of high cast either. But um, I don't think that she really wants to do this. Like her first instinct was to call the police. They have to talk her down from calling the police. They have to talk her down from calling an ambulance. They said that she was researching who the child was and trying to find their family so that they could she could pay him, pay them. And they just tried to stop her from doing every, taking all the responsibility that she wants to take. I just have to say that she's she's sort of discovering that she's in a more similar position to Balram than she thinks yes in that moment where she fight like obviously she's constantly fighting this sort of sexism uphill battle throughout right. the entire film every time she wants to say something and she gets to, to a point where she almost gets in a full fist fight with her husband's father because he is disrespecting Balram um but when she really I mean the moment when she decides to leave is not just because she harms somebody but nobody will let her do anything about it and it really isn't from her lack of trying 
as opposed to um, Ashok, who's just like in the room while Balram is signing this paper and he's just drinking and feeling bad about it. She, I don't, I don't think Pinky is quite as deplorable. No, and I think there's certainly degrees Except of that. She's the one who hits the kid. She's the one who hits the kid, and again, she's not excited about it, but she still lets the cover up happen, which could have completely ruined his life. I don't think that she has that sort of agency in this this situation. I don't. I mean, I really don't. I don't think that she's given that much agency, and I think that the narrative tools that tell us that she's trying to resist it also tells us that she's constantly being stopped. Yes. That there are all of these men in her way. And I, I don't think that she just allowed it to happen. I think it happened in spite of her efforts. I think if she had drawn a line in the sand and put her foot down, then I could agree with you a little bit more. And then they overrided her. But it again felt very half-hearted. It felt similar to her husband in that he would occasionally put up this like very weak, half-hearted this is not okay, we shouldn't do this, but then when he's signing on the dotted line, nothing else happens. Well, see, I guess I disagree, because I just don't think that... I think that there is actively, like, a power dynamic at play with her being a woman. That mm-hmm. is sort of the point of her not being able to get this done. I don't think it's that she doesn't put her foot down. Like, I really do think she tries. There's this moment where Ashok's in the room, and he's saying that he doesn't think that it's right that Balaram should sign this piece of paper... And the mongoose is like, well, do you have a bet any other ideas? And he sort of shies away because he doesn't have any. I just don't think that Pinky was ever put in that position. I think she's constantly yelling about other ideas, other things that they could do, and they just do not listen to her. So I just, I, I think that, like, I understand where you're coming from, but I also feel like it's underselling her lack of power in this society, and that's why she leaves. For sure, which is a major element of it. And she leaves, I believe, to marry Nick Jonas. But <laughs> I mean, it makes sense after this. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I want to marry this American singer and pop star. Yeah, let me just go back to what I was doing in my little New York City life, because this is not it for me. On the whole, though, I thought it was it was really, really good and interesting. And yeah, I th- I think... Give it, give it a real chance because I was the one who saw it and thought it looked a little more silly. And the, I think the trailer kind of missells it in some ways when there's a lot more interesting stuff going on that was really compelling and really engaging and a really interesting look at class and is, is already one of my more interesting films of, of this year. I know we're only in the first month, but... I was I was really glad you made this recommendation. I think this is my favorite recommendation that you've you've done. <laughs> Thanks. Um, there was something I was going to add. Oh, I think it's really odd in the film the way that um, the the relationship between Balram and um, Ashuk mm-hmm. is almost homoerotic. Yeah, and I. Well, so I think that comes from him not taking care of himself and him essentially needing what would have been a romantic partner to then do all these things for him. He's kind of a man child. And then that becomes his servant doing all those things for him. And yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, from the first moment that he sees Ashok, 
okay so okay i think this no, is you no 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 movie. i'm serious because i didn't watch this movie alone so i'm happy it wasn't just me but the moment that he sees him so they're they're in the village and he gets out of the car and he's like on the phone or something but it does that thing that rom-coms do where it just sort of slows down and it's like a, a sort of romanticized image of this person and there's this this like gaze from you know an outward gaze that he's not paying attention to so in that moment Balram is like looking at him and it's like slowed and like romanticized and there's just a lot of interesting moments like that and I feel certain that they're on purpose but I just think it's interesting for them to like liken his feelings of servitude to like romance yeah and, I could and see I that. think it becomes I mean I it it definitely starts like that from the beginning and then it just becomes more and more explicit like he's like oh i have to be like a wife to him you know that's that's the point where you're like you can say <laughs> a friend why couldn't you say a friend but that's this is fine but that this is an odd comparison and then you realize that he's absolutely right he does need to be like a wife to this man um because the guy can't take care of himself absolutely but i also think that there's this this sort of way that the the writers and the directors are really talking about this tension between disliking your master quote unquote and loving them and i really think that they show those moments and the tension that they have by making it kind of romantic i could buy that yeah i, I wish I, I might need to like send you just that little scene at the beginning because it's too much the movie had just started and i was already like what is happening here is this a romantic story I think if they had taken it to the full extent of that, it would have felt a little bit over the top. I oh, think having definitely. That, I think having that in the subtext is interesting, though. I, I mean, I think that it's it's important that it's not romantic, that it is just this description of servitude that is kind of hard to even understand, to, to be completely raised with the idea that you need to serve somebody to be useful, and that's really what you want to do, like to really want it in your bones. They're constantly like, He's constantly like, oh, you all are like a mother and father to me. And they're like, stop saying that. But he means it. <laughs> he really does mean it. And I just I just think that that kind of love is really interesting and maybe even hard to explain. Yeah. For anybody who hasn't felt that. But it's it's definitely something where you feel like that problem that it creates, that it's this unhealthy attachment to this role of servitude and i'm not saying Absolutely. like it's it's his fault but it's like this built-in psychological trap that Absolutely. has been so ingrained and beat down on him that it's almost impossible for him to shake that and i think that's why seeing him break out of that towards the end is so engaging and compelling the rooster coop yeah exactly mm -hmm. i appreciate the repetition of things like that where it was like really establishing this is like him being stuck and trapped and only once in a while does someone break out of the coop. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's what was good. Ah, oh, it was it was a good one. I was I was very engaged. It's a little bit long, I think, at times, but I think the the length of it needs to be because it's establishing that he lives this way, I think, for like at least a year mm -hmm. in, in servitude, maybe more. Um and it's it's that amount of time that allows him to really see and reflect and go through such this like gigantic change in his life and to see a change like that in a character from where like if you were to put the side by side of the start and the end not just his mustache and ponytail and all these different things 
but like the demeanor in which he carries himself, the yeah. way that he has completely gone through this transformation for better or worse is, is very interesting. Well, I think that mostly wraps up what we we're going to talk about, unless you have any closing thoughts on the, the white tiger. I do not. Uh, I just, I thought it was a fantastic film. I look forward to seeing more of that stuff from array studios and I I like Priyanka Chopra Jonas. No, yeah, I have no problem with her. I, I know she's really people good. really don't like her though, and I feel like I read a lot of um, Priyanka Chopra slander uh, really regularly, and I don't understand, but I really think that in spite of this, she's really dedicated to to telling the stories that she that she can and wants to tell, and I just uh, appreciate her just carrying on and not just being involved in the production but being involved in the telling because I think her her character was well done and I don't know maybe she she read it and thought oh, I'm not sure anybody else could do this maybe they could but I just I like that she inserts herself into her stories like this into the stories that she helps produce not stories that she writes that is all yeah I I agree um, the last thing I was going to say before we close out is today is technically the, the start of Sundance. Um, it's the first time it's happening virtually. I'm going to be following along with it with, with the stranger and folks up there. I already wrote a piece about some of the, the films that kind of tackle environmental concerns. There are a couple of interesting documentaries and then a, a film that's a narrative film, but uses a lot of non-professional actors that I, I would really recommend some of those. They're, they're very harrowing and intense, but they're, they're very interesting. Um, Maybe we'll talk about some more of that that next week. But yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it goes because a lot of festivals have gone virtual and this is kind of the first one that I think is is real, really big that a lot of people are, are looking to is to see whether they can pull it off. They're doing a bunch of like post-film discussions that they're all monitoring, which I don't even know how they're going to pull all those off entirely seamlessly, but it seems like they're they're ready for it. And I'm I'm excited about it. A lot of good stuff. Still Still okay stuff going on in the world. I hope everybody's doing well, staying safe, staying healthy. Yeah, I, I hope everyone has a good weekend. Yeah, absolutely. All of you guys have a great weekend. Um, try to get outside, but also social distance and be careful. And um, happy new year. <laughs> yes, I know, happy new year. I, I know we're deep through the month, but it's our first podcast of, of the, the year. And um, happy 2021. Happy 2021, everybody. We'll We'll probably see you next week and talk some more about whatever we talk about. Thanks for listening.